But today we're going to go to the Psalms. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, if you just go like this, let it plop open, you'll likely hit the Psalms. If not, go for it. Again, uh, we'll be on Psalm 27, and we'll be mainly in verse 4. And I want to speak on, give a word on seeking God's presence on New Year's Eve as we face a new year. So let's consider seeking God's presence from Psalm 27, verse 4. If God gave you one and only one New Year's Eve wish, what would you ask for? Uh, I've always been intrigued by that unique situation in history where God actually went to King Solomon uh, thousands of years ago and said, King, I'll give you one request. You could ask for anything in the world. And as you likely know, King Solomon asked for wisdom. That's a, that's a pretty good request. Well, I was interested as I was thinking about that, what would my kids say? So recently at dinner, we asked the kids, what would you like if God gave you one thing in 2024, God of the universe, shoot for the stars, and this is what I got, a swirl pop and ice cream. I I was a little offended. It's like, you mean dad doesn't give you ice cream or swirl pops? We've had these. Uh, It's just so nice they had to have it twice. But it was a gigantic squirrel pop. That was the special piece of it. Uh, for me, I was, I was thinking about that. What are some contenders of what's the one thing I would ask God? Um, some of his work-related goals. I would like a better prayer life. I have some physical or health goals. Uh, maybe a Celtics championship. Banner number 18. This is the year. Let's go Celtics. I wonder what it is for you. If you uh, were visited by Angel Gabriel and said, okay, God's requesting you one thing, what would rise to the top for the new year? Would it be health-related? You want to be cancer-free or get over this chronic migraine that you're having? Maybe it's mental health-related. With depression, you just want peace. You want joy. Maybe it's money-related. You want to raise at work or you want enough money to, to buy your first home. Maybe it's relational. You want to find a soulmate. You're sick of loneliness. You want to find a friend. So whatever your one thing would be for God, we could probably lump them up into two main categories. Security and happiness. Peace and joy. Ultimately, that's what we're looking for. And in our passage today, King David says, God, I ask you for one thing. His one thing is, God, I want more of you. That's his sole desire. He doesn't ask for peace or joy. He asks for more of God, and he gets peace and joy thrown in with God. And so today, I want us to hear God's voice in Psalm uh, Psalm 27, verse 4, and hear this truth that God's presence shelters us in trouble and satisfies us with joy. So we'll look first at just verse 4, and then we'll back out and we'll talk about seeking God and finding joy. So listen along as I read the first six verses of Psalm 27, and after that I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and he'll say, thanks be to God. Psalm 27, 1 through 6, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. 
Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's presence. God, our Father, would you show us your beauty this morning? In your word, show us your beauty in your Son, Jesus Christ. When we leave here, show us your beauty in all of creation. Would you create in us a hunger this year, Lord, that only you can satisfy? And my hope, my prayer, my dream for us as a church, Lord, is that you would make us a people of one thing. We want more of Christ. So please send your spirit to that end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's start looking at verse 4. Seeking God. Seeking God. David says here in the beginning of verse 4, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. If you read the psalm before this and the psalm after this, you will see that David asked for two things, three things, four things, five things. David asked for many things in his life. And yet, his most frequent and earnest prayer was one thing. I want more of you, God. The most well-trodden prayer path for David was, I want more of you. He didn't simply want more from God. He wanted more of God. As one pastor says, we shouldn't just find God useful, but we should find him beautiful. Sometimes we think about what God has saved us from, our sin, our shame, the wrath to come that we deserve for our sins and rebellion, but we don't think about what God has saved us for enjoyment of his beauty, spending more time with him, falling in more love, more in love with him. And we see here that prayer includes not only asking God for things, but ultimately spending time with God. I wonder if you have a, a friend, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a friend, who you are perfectly comfortable with in silence. Maybe you're chatting and laughing at one moment, and then the next moment you're just sitting in silence. Neither of you is fidgety. You're just completely at home, at peace in one another's presence. That brought me back, uh, a little cheesy, but back to my long-distance dating days with my now wife of us being in two different cities, and we'd chat, and then it would just go silent. I'd hear typing. She's typing away on a paper she's turning in. I'm doing the dishes, and we'd chat, and you'd fall asleep. Are you still there? We just wanted to be with one another. And we see here that David is showing us the heart of prayer is not ultimately asking from God, but being with God. Jesus draws on this one thing language in the Gospel of Luke, and he calls it a necessity. He visits Mary and Martha, his two sisters, and he comes to their home to teach, to share the good news of the kingdom. And Martha assumes the position of a disciple. She sits down and listens to his teaching, just takes it all in, and is focused on Jesus. And Martha is a great host. 
She starts preparing the, the bread, the meat, whatever, the hummus, whatever she's preparing, getting hungry. I could go on, but I'll stop. But she's preparing this meal for Jesus. And Jesus says this to Martha in Luke ten forty two. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about money, many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken from her. So here, Jesus is taking up the theme of David, and he's saying, this one thing is necessary. Being with me, sitting at my feet, talking to me, listening to me, sitting in silence in my presence. And so David, he's a one-thing man. My prayer for us is that we'd be a one-thing church. We go hard after the love of Christ, resting in it, walking in it, sharing in it. He has this one desire, and he breaks it up into three verbs of how he's going to pursue this desire. So one desire, more of God, seeking his presence. And he breaks it up into three verbs. If you look at verse 4, he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and I want to seek him in his temple. So let's look at each one of these verbs, these action words that David has in his one purpose. First, he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. David was not in a hurry And the reality is that seeking often starts with sitting. Pursuit often starts with pause in God's presence. God is everywhere, but we have to slow down to be aware of his presence right where we are. And we are in an uphill battle. We live in the most distracted age, I think, ever, period. With so many things, flashing lights, commercials, uh, the world in our pocket, All of these things calling for our attention. And so God is calling us, if you want to seek my presence, the first place is to sit, to dwell, to stay a while in my presence. Now, some of you might have heard David's one thing. There's just wanting more of God. And your honest heart's reaction was, that's kind of boring. It's okay to admit that. Even myself as one of the pastors here, sometimes, and I have to confess this as sin to God, I'm bored with you, God. And I know something's not wrong with you. Something's wrong with my own heart. And maybe there's a handful of you that feel bored with God, feel like you're in a drier season relationally with God, don't feel love and joy and peace in him, but you want what David has. You want his desire to be your desire. So let's just talk about this this boredom for a second. If you are bored with God, there are likely one of two things going on in your life. If you've never if you've never been excited about Jesus, if he's never been attractive to you, beautiful, glorious in your eyes, it might be possible that you don't have new life. It might be possible that you haven't experienced what Jesus said being born again. Because at the heart of being a Christian is you are infatuated with Jesus, the Lord and Savior. So if that's not you and you still want in on that, pray a prayer that I prayed 14 years ago. I just asked Jesus, I said, if you're real, and if you're the Son of God, show me. Just weeks of praying that. If you're real, if you're the Son of God, show me. And one day Jesus became beautiful to me, and the scales fell off my eyes. It was sweet hearing after I was sharing that experience with my mom, uh, who is from, originally from China, uh, didn't know Christians growing up, went to a school where they were Christians. 
I found out that my mom prayed the same exact prayer decades before I came to faith. Jesus, if you're real, show me. So if that's you, if you've always kind of been bored with God, ask him to show you his glory and he would love to do that. Now, there's a second reason why you might be bored with God. Maybe you are a Christian and there have been times in your life where you are just playing that praise music in your car, prayer just flows from you, you are happy in the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength, but right now you are kind of bored with God. Well, if that's you, it's likely because you've stuffed yourself with lesser joys. You've become distracted. You've gone hard after other things. You're a one-thing person, but that thing isn't the Lord himself. If that's you and you, you are filled up on lesser joys, you're like a kid who comes home from school, he's starving, and he eats a whole bag of Doritos to push away his mom's steak that she handed him at dinner. Or you're like the person who goes out on a beach vacation, you have a beach house rented for a week, and you want to stay inside and play games on your phone the whole time. Or you're like someone who walks out on, uh, under the night sky, And you're so blinded by the street lamp that you can't see the stars. Lesser lights, lesser joys have filled you, blinded you to this glorious light. So the way back into delight and joy in God's presence is dwelling, sitting. David goes on to say, I don't only want to dwell, but I want to gaze on the Lord's beauty. You were made for beauty. You are made to see, to take in beautiful things. Our culture, especially here in the Northeast and New England, doesn't really emphasize that. We would probably say you're made to grind, to be productive, to get things done, to make a beautiful wood stack. Your front yard or backyard so your neighbors could see, and you could see it and be satisfied in that work. Now that's all good and fine, but we were also made for beauty. And we're hungry for it. That's why we take uh, pictures of well-presented uh, plates of food when we go out to eat. That's why we go to museums. That's why we go on hikes. That's why we love to travel, uh, go to Yosemite or go to the Alps and see beauty. And all of human history is headed towards something called the beautiful vision or the beatific vision. That's uh, a theological term for seeing God in all of his glory. So that's where all of history is headed. And we get little glimpses of that here and there. When we get a beautiful uh, sunrise at the lake, or we see someone's a loved one's face after not seeing them for a long time. We get these glimpses of this vision that makes our soul happy. And David says, I just want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And friends, the gospel presents Jesus. The good news presents Jesus as beautiful to tired, hopeless, and lost people. Jesus is beautiful in his authority. He's never abusive, always protecting and providing for his people. Jesus is beautiful in his humility, getting lower than the lowest servant, dwelling with the outcasts. Jesus is beautiful in his truth. He will never, ever lie to you. Jesus is beautiful in his grace, He will never, ever reject you. Jesus is beautiful on the cross, taking God's wrath for us, his life for us. He is beautiful in the resurrection. Now, like 
I said earlier, we're inundated with uh, counterfeit beauty, spray-on beauty all around us. Even that word itself has lost some of its transcendent glory. So to kind of recalibrate what, we, what we're talking about when David says, I want to see the beauty of the Lord, let's look to Revelation 1. This is one of the most bright descriptions of Jesus after he resurrected. So this is the Apostle John. He's away on this island. He's been cast out, exiled on this island called Patmos. And he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He's probably praying or singing. And then he hears a sound behind him. And this is what he saw. And this was Jesus that he saw. So imagine, especially you artistic types, the colors and sounds that John would have heard. This is beauty. When I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword coming from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Christ's glory was so stunning and majestic that John fell down like a dead man. And Christ's love was so comforting that he raised him up, a new man, and placed his hand on his shoulder and said, don't be afraid. Nothing can separate you from my love. This is what we mean when we say, beholding the beauty of the Lord. So David wants to dwell. He wants to gaze. He also wants to see the beauty of, oh, see, seek him in the temple. Seek him in the temple. This word seeking could also mean questioning or inquiring. This is a word for a disciple. We think of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his teaching, asking questions, learning at the feet of Jesus. So David wants to sit in God's presence and learn how to live in his kingdom. If you think about it, um, David had many roles in his life. He was a shepherd, king, poet, musician, Uh, What else? Brother, son, friend, saint, sinner. And what he did, he lived out what Psalm 105 says in verse 4, seek the Lord always. Seek him and his face continually. David sought God's presence in all of those various vocations that he had. He sought God for strength on late nights as a shepherd protecting the sheep from bears and lions. He sought God after he murdered a good friend to fulfill his lust and ask for repentance. He sought God when he needed wisdom, military strategy wisdom, and saying, God, the Philistines, our enemies are here. Should we pursue them or not? David sought God in every area of his life. And especially as we look towards the new year, we often think about adding more on. It's like, oh man, I haven't worked out in a year, but I'm going to start working out five times a week starting on Monday. And it becomes a burden, and then we end up throwing it off. What David is calling us to is not necessarily adding on more, but inviting Christ into every single sphere of our life. Being more aware of the presence of Christ with us. So, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, good for you, David. 
Uh, I'm glad that you want to go to a holy art museum and behold the beauty of the Lord, but it doesn't seem really practical. Uh, What does seeking God's beauty have to do with my real world problems? The social anxiety I have, the depression I have, the, the lack of rent money I have. What does seeking God's beauty have to do with my real world problems? And here we find that when David seeks God, he finds joy and safety. God's presence truly shelters David in his trouble and satisfies him with his joy. So let's consider finding joy. So the mental picture you probably have of David, if you just had verse 4 on your coffee mug, would be David's at the annual church prayer retreat, lakeside. It's the sunrise. He's taking his, in his beautiful you know, pour over, and he has his Bible over. Here I am to worship. He's just taking it in, looking at God's beauty. <clears throat> or maybe you see a monk, shaved head. He's in his cell. He has these hours of prayer, and he's just focused. I'm focused on the Lord. I'm focused on his beauty, silence and solitude. If we step back, he's in neither of those places, and he's probably in the worst place imaginable. If we could pull up the slide We don't know exactly the nature of his trouble, but here are some hints of what David was in when he was asking God for this one desire. He says, though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. So war. There's people seeking to kill David. He will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. This day is just jam-packed with adversity. When it rains, it pours. You've probably felt like that, maybe recently. This bad news after bad news after bad news. That's David's day. Finally, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Whatever is going on, there's enough strain on his relationships that he's saying, I might even lose the affection of my mother and my father. There's people warring against me, seeking to take my head. This is a day of adversity. And so in the midst of these troubles... David says, I want to see your beauty, God. Now, if you were to be given one request, if I were to be given one request in that day of adversity, in that day of trouble, it would likely not be, I want to see your beauty in the temple. Is David being overly spiritual here? Um, Is he giving the Sunday school answer? If you're not familiar with church, the Sunday school answer is Jesus. And it's It's almost always dead on. It's like 90%. By the way, shout out to the River of Grace teachers um, in Discovery Cove. They love the Lord. They don't just want the answer. They want the reason. They want want to see these kids raised up to love Jesus. Uh, But is David just giving the Sunday school answer? It's like you have one request. These guys are outside the uh, castle or whatever trying to kill you. Your mom and dad might forsake you. Jesus. Right. But it's kind of irrelevant. Like, what does that have to do with your day of trouble when it rains and it pours? David is teaching us a lot here. He's teaching us in the moment when we feel like we could least afford to stop and see Jesus in his glory is the moment we most need a sight of his beauty. In that moment where we say, I am trying to work these two, three jobs I'm having a struggle raising these kids. 
I'm having a hard time with this relationship at work. I'm having a really broken time with my family relationships. In that moment when you feel like, I can't stop and pray. I can't stop and see Jesus' beauty in Scripture. That's when you need it the most. Because when we seek God's presence, seek God for God, he throws joy and courage in with it. So church, this coming year, maybe even this week, when work projects suffocate you and steal your sleep, seek God's presence. When you feel a relationship that is important to you is crumbling, seek God's presence. When you spend another hour, day, week, month waiting for an unfulfilled dream, seek God's presence. When you continue to struggle with cancer or sickness, seek God's presence. He will shelter you and hold you fast. So he seeks God, and this is the result in verses 5 and 6. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. You will be sheltered. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. God will hide you, set you high. Then my head will be high above the enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So David is anticipating a time where he's saying, God's going to bring me through this. And I'm going to sing with God's people in the temple. I'm going to be filled with joy. He's going to shelter me now and satisfy me later. Uh, Hugh Latimer, he was a preacher in the 1500s. And you could tell by his picture. But he was a bold man for God. And he was a preacher under four rulers in England, uh, two of whom were not the nicest. So Henry VIII, that was the guy with a lot of wives. I think he offed a few of them. Uh, so he was the court preacher. So imagine he's standing across from Henry VIII and like, you should probably not lust, King Henry VIII. <laughs> and here he is going after all these women. He's a brave man. And then Latimer, finally, uh, he was burned at the stake by Mary I. You might know her as Bloody Mary, who killed a lot of folks. That's why she got that name. So Latimer endured a lot of trouble in his life. And he said this at one point in his life, when sometimes I sit alone and have a settled assurance of the state of my soul and know that God is my God, I can laugh at all the troubles. Nothing can daunt me. And I don't think that word sit is inconsequential. When he sits in all of his troubles, when he's being threatened to be burned at the stake, when King Henry is threatening to kick him out or do worse, when he sits and realizes that God is my God, my light and my salvation, he could actually laugh at his troubles and nothing could daunt him. And in verse 1 and 2, David shows us the key to finding strength in God's presence. It's not just saying true things about God. It's believing those true things for yourself. He says, God, you are my light. You are my salvation. God, you're my shepherd. You're my savior. You're my defender. You're my king. You're my friend. You're my comforter. It's calling God as your own in Christ. And this is where all of history is headed. This is where this year is taking us as we anticipate the second arrival of Jesus. Jesus is going to bring us out into a place, uh, set us high on a rock, fill our hearts with joy and singing in his presence. 
no longer bored in his presence because of our dullness, but fully alive to his glory. So my hope for us, uh, River of Grace, in this new year is that we'd be unified in this one thing, that we want more of God. What would this year look like if we all decided on that, just all agreed in our hearts that one thing we're going hard after this year is we want more of Christ. We all have different callings, different jobs, um, different backgrounds, but we could all commit to this one mission. And really, this one thing is how we fill out our mission at ROG, that we seek to make disciples, people who sit at Jesus' feet, who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. I want to end where Jesus ended with Martha. He says, Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. This one thing cannot be taken away from you. You might take 10 steps forward, 20 steps back in one of your resolutions this year, taken away from you. You might get healthy, only to fall sick again. You might find the love of your life, only for sorrow to come after that. But there is one thing that cannot be taken away from you, and that is the love of God in Christ. Nothing can separate you from that one thing. So let's seek this untouchable joy in God this year. Shelter in times of trouble and find satisfaction and joy in Him. As we turn to the Lord's table, uh, we're reminded that God is building a household. Over and over again in this psalm, uh, David is using different words for the place of worship for the Jews before the time of Christ. So the temple, the tabernacle, God's house. Uh, You have meals in houses, and this is like a little appetizer of where we're headed to God's house. I kind of like to think of God's house as either Rivendell, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but like, ooh, that's a beautiful place, or Bjorn's house, where he has the meat and the butter and the bread and like animals bringing food to them on their backs. I'm sorry, I'm geeking out with some Hobbit stuff, but It's a place where the table is filled with food. There's rejoicing, there's peace, there's things growing, and it's a place of beauty. And that's where we feast. We feast, uh, we have this appetizer now that points us to the future where we'll feast with our God in his house. And so this is for all of you who say, my Savior, my Lord, Jesus died for me. If you're trusting in Christ, even if you're a visitor and not a member here at ROG, you are welcome to the bread and the cup. And after I pray, you can come down the middle aisles, Uh, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and eat it on your way back to your chairs. If that's not you, please, from where you're sitting right now, admit your boredom, but also your desire to see Jesus in his beauty. And he would love to answer that. I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, church, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray.